So we believe three things here at Coastal Community. First, we believe there's hope beyond our brokenness. That's really good news. You see that sin's broken our world. And every one of us has sort of had a part in that brokenness. We are not only broken, but we've broken others. Every one of us. We're breakers and breakees. And Jesus loves us right where we're at. Like if you're looking for a perfect church, once you came here, it was no longer perfect. You understand that, right? <laughs> Jesus loves us right where we are today, but he loves us too much to let us stay there. And so we grow as we learn to trust the risen Christ in more and more and more areas of our lives. We believe that the only hope for our world's brokenness is the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And the gift of the Holy Spirit, which brings new creation into our lives. And our desire is to learn to trust him more and more in, in new corners of our lives, in new relationships, in new parts of our workplace. Last week we learned from two professors at Cal Poly how they're learning to, to live out their faith as professors in both the animal sciences and the plant sciences. Wasn't that beautiful for those of you that heard that? that that every square inch of our lives is sacred ground if we're followers of Jesus. And thirdly, we believe we're called to join. And actually, we get to join Jesus in his resurrection work. And he uses us as is. It doesn't wait until we're all dusted off. We get our seminary education and suddenly now you're useful. He uses broken people. And to be really honest, as I look back on my life, the times when more people came to Jesus through my witness when I was when I was the most broken clearly. And the times when I thought I had it together was when I had the least fruit in my witness. Isn't that a paradox? And so he uses us right where we are. And I pray that you would see Slow County as your mission field and your little corner in this beautiful place called Slow. So how do we live out this vision? We live it out by following Jesus. Can you read with me what a disciple is? A disciple is one choosing choosing and choosing so here's the deal no one grows up in christ by accident it always happens on purpose it always happens by intention we don't just drift into maturity we drift into immaturity we're sheep, you know. We drift. So you have to be really intentional. So this, this becomes our prayer. The intentional prayer is, Jesus, today I'm choosing to be changed by you. Like every new day. Today I again choose to seek you first. Again today I choose to join you in your resurrection work in my broken world. It's a daily choice. And that's where the adventure lies. If you're bored with your Christian life, start making those choices and it'll become an adventure. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. So, some of you know that Kathy and I, I know it's a secret, but we're new grandparents. And, it's, <laughs> and we are just tickled pink over our granddaughter, Adelina, who's now 14 months, 16 months, and just saw her this weekend. And her parents sent us this video this week, week, and I just have to share it with you. 
because we're on this thing called Tiny Beans, and we get these videos like every other day, but this one I had to share with you. <laughs> Listen really carefully. Listen really carefully. Let me just transliterate that. By the way, that we're going to show that at our wedding reception someday. <laughs> so I wanted to transliterate what happened there. So mom says, hi, Addie. What are you building? And Addie says very articulately, Oyagabadai. <laughs> mom says, oh, wow. Is that a big tower? And she says, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yao Biadi, Eddie Browers. And as she reached for another block, she let out a rapid burst of baby farts. And mom just lost it at that point, and the camera just kind of, I, I think mom said, Excuse us. So, did you see the amazing connection between mommy and daughter there? Were they communicating? Yeah. Addie is fully engaged in this conversation with her mom. She knows her mom's voice. She knows her tone. She knows her body language intimately well. And Addie's able to respond appropriately with profoundly articulate baby language. <laughs> she knows exactly what she's building. And so it is with God and his children. I mean, think about this. He gets down into our world as we're building away at our lives, and he engages with us on our level as we babble back with great seriousness. <laughs> and he takes us seriously. And he takes great joy in connecting with us, even when our words don't seem to make any sense to anybody else. He understands. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Can you say that? I am the good shepherd. And my sheep know my voice. So how in the world do we learn to recognize the voice of Jesus amidst all the clamor of voices in our world? How do we learn to recognize the voice of Jesus among all the clamor of voices between our ears? For some of us, it's one thing to get away from the world and get quiet, but then we take these voices. So this is our focus today, so please pray with me. Lord Jesus, please repeat after me. Lord Jesus, you are the Good Shepherd. We ask that right now, you would still all other voices, but your own. Amen. Amen. So there is just an, an incredible, you know, I'm 61, all right? But I don't think I've ever felt like in my lifetime there was a greater need for good shepherds, for good leaders. Would you agree? 
The Pew Research Center has tracked the rate of public trust among Americans in our government for 58, since 1958 when I was born. And it is today at an all-time low. Listen to this. When Americans are asked, do you have confidence that the elected officials will act in the best interest of the public this year? 60% of adults said no. What is the condition of our democracy? Regarding business leaders, 54% said no. Regarding journalists, 42% said no. Regarding university press professors, 30% no, no. And get this, religious leaders, what do you think? There was a wide disagreement on this one. Between 35 and 50% said they cannot have confidence in religious leaders care about public good. We are sheep desperately needing good shepherds. Can you agree with me? But this is nothing new. If you take, go back like 2,700 years, the ancient prophets of Israel were constantly railing on kings, priests, and false prophets for their idolatry, their injustice, and their corruption. Thank God for the prophets. They always had the hardest job. They had to speak truth to power. In the late 6th century BC, at the time of Jerusalem's terrible fall by the Babylonians, the prophet Ezekiel rose up and spoke against the shepherds of Israel. Listen to these words in Ezekiel 34. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourself with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for wild animals. It was a desperate leadership void. Fast forward 600 years to the time of Jesus and the need for good shepherds persisted. The Jewish people had lived under centuries of foreign occupation and foreign oppression and they were desperate for a deliverer. What happens to a people? Whether you live in an abusive home or an abusive country, you become vulnerable to the latest promised deliverer, don't you? And in the time of Jesus, many voices were rising up, claiming to be the way of freedom. The Sadducees believed freedom came through cutting political deals with the Romans. On the opposite political pole were the Zealots, who believed freedom came through armed resistance. Somewhere in the middle were the Pharisees, who believed that freedom came through careful observant of the Torah. And then there were the Essenes who said, the hell with you all, we're going to the desert because we are the truly spiritual ones. <laughs> the leaders of all these religious parties truly saw themselves as the true shepherds of Israel. And they all wanted Jesus to back their particular cause. Guess what? He refused. I just love this about Jesus. He can never be co-opted to our human causes. He's so much bigger than them.
And whenever in history we've co-opted Jesus to our cause, the church has become oppressive in the world. It's getting really quiet there. That's a good place to say amen. So let's listen to the words of Jesus in John 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, and he could have added Sadducees, Zealots, Essenes, TV preachers, uh, self-appointed messiahs, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. But the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him, because they, say it with me, know his voice. Can you open that door a little more for me? It may be warm, cool there, but it's warm up here. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling him. So can I kind of geek out with some archaeological history with you? All right. Ken Bailey, a respected Bible teacher who lived and taught in the Middle East for 40 years, and he taught in Arabic, by the way, Help me to understand the ancient setting of this story. Here's a model of a typical house in a Jewish village in the first century. Now, houses were closely compacted together, almost like condos along a pathway. And each home had a courtyard. And in that courtyard was their whole family livelihood, including a uh, an animal pen. Each family would have two or three sheep. And the animal pen was usually closest to the street to be farthest from where they lived, you know, slept. And so, this was their livelihood. And so theft was really a, a problem because to lose your sheep was to lose your livelihood. Are you all with me there? And so they had to be gated, but they also had to be fed. And so at dawn, a shepherd would call out in, in a special cry, and all the sheep of that village would hear the shepherd's voice, and the gates would be open, and the sheep would just flow out into the alleyway to follow the shepherd into the pasture. Okay? And that's what they did during the day, is find pasture. And this shepherd could be leading up to 200 of the, she of the village's sheep. And he's leading them into pasture. And ancient Palestine is mostly desert. Did you know that? And so it's not like, you know, don't think of sheep in Ireland now. <laughs> think of sheep in Brawley. <laughs> so finding grazable pasture for this many sheep was a challenge, especially in those long, hot days in the summer and the fall when there's zero water. So they had to go farther and farther out. So it was not... Uh, efficient to try to bring them back to the village every night and bring them all the way back to that place of pasture. So a shepherd would build a fold, usually out of stone or near a cave, where the one or two hundred sheep would be protected in the countryside at night from wolves and other uh, 
Yes. <laughs> so notice, this is a, a, a typical ancient sheepfold. What do you notice about it? It's circle. How many entries are there? There's just one. And so here's where uh, Ken Billy really helped me. The shepherds had to lead the sheep at night into the fold, which is away from the village. But, it, it, but guess where the shepherds slept through the night? The shepherds slept right across the doorway. That's where the shepherd slept. Now let me keep going here. John 10, 7 and 8. Therefore Jesus said, please read this together. Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Next slide. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Oh, I love that. I have come that they may have life, say it with me, and have it to the full. You know John is the gospel of the I am's, those bold claims of Jesus about his identity. And we happen to have two I am's in this chapter, in one chapter. What are they? I am the good shepherd and I am the gate. That used to kind of confuse me, like mixed metaphors don't work in my brain very well. And then Ken Bailey helped me see that actually they're the same person. The good shepherd becomes the gate. Are you with me? The good shepherd becomes the gate. He protects the sheep through the vulnerable hours of the darkness by laying in front of the gate. And so it is with the church of Jesus. Jesus Christ is both our shepherd and our gate. He leads us in and out to pasture and back to the fold and he protects us through the night. He is a good shepherd. Read this with me. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So what makes a good shepherd? According to Jesus. Jesus is introducing a radical new concept of leadership that's completely foreign to the ancient world and to our world today in business and politics and pretty much everywhere. Jesus says a good shepherd sacrifices self for the good of the people. How many leaders do you know like that? Notice the marks on the shepherd's hands on this painting. Do you see them? You see them? These are the marks he received as he was nailed on the cross. And 700 years before Christ, the prophet Isaiah spoke about a new kind of servant leader who was going to come. This is from chapter 53. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. 
Boy, that's the story of human history right there in one verse. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. You see, we now have another mix, mixture of metaphors. Guess what? The good shepherd became the sheep. Jesus took on our full humanity, which is such a mystery. The word became flesh and became a sacrificial lamb for us. And the justice, the punishment, the justice that brought us peace was upon him. That word peace in Hebrew is shalom. Shalom means wholeness, healing, reconciliation, justice, soundness. Wholeness. Shalom is what life looks like when the good shepherd has his way in our world. Don't you want that more? To have, that the good shepherd would have his way in our world, in your family, in your community, in your neighborhood. So there'd be more reconciliation, more justice, more wholeness. I long for that. John 10. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, what's he do? He's out of here. He abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He has no ownership. The shepherd has ownership. Ken Bailey suggests that implied in this parable is a battle. A battle between the shepherd and the wolves. And in this battle, the shepherd dies in the process of protecting the sheep of his village. You with me there? Jesus' sacrificial death is not a defeat, though. It's a victory. I just want to announce this. Jesus' death is a victory over the power of sin in our world. Jesus' death is a victory over the power of evil in our world. Jesus' death is a... a a victory over the power of, of, of darkness in our world and all the forces that rob, kill, and destroy, the death of Jesus is actually a victory. Hey, thank you, Steve. So read this with me. I love this verse. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Friends, this is the gospel. I, I just really encourage you to memorize these words and turn them into a prayer. The whole gospel's in this, these two verses. Think about it. To know and be known. To know and be known is one of the deepest human longings. Amen? I mean, to be known fully. It was like the relationship between Adam and Eve in the garden. They fully knew each other. Jesus is talking here not just about knowing about someone. He's talking about a deep relational knowing, a covenantal knowing. This is a radical statement. Think about it. Jesus claims that the personal and relational intimacy that exists in the Trinity is available to you and me. This is radical. You are known by Jesus as Jesus is known by the Father. And you can know Jesus as Jesus knows the Father. This is like 
radical good news. It's extraordinary. This is life. To be known and to know is life. When our children were young, we had a tradition. Every two or three weeks, we did a family night. Now, a family night involved unplugging the TV and enjoying food, fun, and God together. The kids got to choose what we had for dinner and dessert, which was usually donuts. They would have liked to have donuts for both dinner and dessert. <laughs> One particular night, our theme was the story of the Good Shepherd. And we're always trying to make things fun. We never want to bore our kids with God. So to illustrate this passage, we blindfolded our little, like, nine-year-old daughter, eight-year-old daughter, maybe she was seven, uh, and told her that her donut was safely placed on the shelf in her room. She just needed to follow her mom's careful directions, verbal directions, all the way across the house. We had a long journey from the kitchen to her room to find it. And here's the challenge. Her two brothers played the part of the bad shepherds. <laughs> which they took immense delight in. For every direction Kathy gave, they cried in her ears, No, don't go there, you're going to fall. Or, you'll step on Bella, which was our star a charming Dalmatian. You'll break the mirror. Uh, it took quite a while for her to make it to the room. And finally she reached out and found her donut. Big old maple bar, chocolate maple bar. <laughs> so after gathering the family together, taking the blindfold off, we debriefed and asked her how she felt about her experience. And of course, you know what she said. She was really angry with her brothers. It's like, it was really hard. They were yelling directly in her ears. They're right up to her, her ears. They didn't, couldn't touch her, but they could get right up in her face. And uh, yet, she said it got easier because I, I began to really concentrate on mom's voice. And her voice was different than hers. It was gentle. And I know her voice. I grew up, she grew up with that voice. And so she just really focused her mind on mom's voice. And as she focused, she was able to find the way. And then we asked, popped the question, because we always like to ask the kids a, a, a good question. Guys, kids, as you grow older, you're going to have a whole lot of voices telling you about what life is all about. How are you going to pick out Jesus' voice in that crowd? And I want to ask you the same question. Because back then, we were raising kids without these. I don't know how you parents are doing it today. <laughs> We have more voices in our world now than ever in human history, ever. And that's not just speaking evangelistically. That's <laughs> true. We have so many voices. And the question is, how do you pick out which one is your good shepherd's voice? And we said to our kids, the voice that sounds like this. The voice that sounds most like this. Because God has spoken. You can get to know his voice. You can get to know how he speaks, his intonation, his tone. The pacing of his voice and the beauty of the scriptures. He speaks in all kinds of genres. He speaks in poetry and history and narrative and letter. He's multilingual. Isn't that beautiful about God in scripture? 
And you will be better equipped to pick out his voice in the clamor of your day when you know his voice here. Amen? One of my heroes and mentors said this, Dallas Willard said, the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow our minds to dwell upon. Will you read that with me? The ultimate You can choose where to set your mind. I believe that you're not just a victim of voices. You can actually choose the voices that you focus on. I believe that the battle for my mind begins with the very first thoughts when I wake up in the morning. Anybody like me? They flood in. It's essential that we begin our day with Jesus. We begin our day with Jesus well by quieting our hearts and reading or listening to the scriptures. Because as we get acquainted with his voice here, it's more likely that we're going to hear his voice during the day. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. And we pray these scriptures into that day's relationships and work, the joys and challenges. By the way, I found the app, which is amazing. Bible in one year, so helpful for me. Uh, I need a little structure. Uh, if you're like me, this gives structure to us, those of us that need it. I'm listening through the New Testament this year. One of the passages that I got to pray into my life this week was Romans 12, where Paul declares, Therefore I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, to all those voices, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think there's never a better time to renew your mind than at the beginning of a new day. But I've also learned I've got to finish my day with Jesus. Starting the day is one thing. It's not enough, though. I need to loop around before I hit the bed. A couple of weeks ago, we, we introduced an ancient prayer, a prayer of examine. It's an evening prayer used by Christians around the world over the past 400 years. It's called the Daily Examine. And I sum up the three parts of the prayer using an acronym. By the way, somebody came from my church in Ventura uh, and, her, and, and heard our sermon last week, and I used an acronym or two weeks ago. They had banned acronyms in Ventura. And, and, and she heard me here, using them here, and she said, oh, no, I'll pray for your church. <laughs> but TLC is a way of summarizing that beautiful ancient prayer at the end of day. T stands for Thanksgiving. It's, it's where you look back over your day and say, Father, Abba, where did I see you today? Where did I see your presence in my day? Where did I see you at work? Where did I see your simple gifts in my day? And you're just pausing. It literally transforms my whole mindset as I'm going to bed when I do this. I'm just suddenly lifted up. And then L is, is where we lament. We look back over the day and we just take a moment to lament the pain and the sorrow and the disappointment and the loss of the day. If you're human, you experience those things every day in some way. And to be able to just... Name them before Jesus and release them to him at the end of the day is so healthy. He does, you know, they don't have to be fixed. 
You just lay him there before the throne. And then C stands for confession. And that's, Father, where today did I fail to pay attention to you? To listen to your good shepherd voice. Where did I fail to pay attention to those around me? To love them as Christ loves me. To bear the fruit of the Spirit. And it's a chance to go to bed with a clean heart. To release your sin to the Lord. And I found that TLC prayer just takes about seven minutes and it, it just transforms the next day. Because guess what happens to the next day? I'm much more aware of noticing where God is speaking in my day. Because I know that night I'm going to reflect on it. Does that make sense? And this is the way we slowly but surely become more and more familiar with our good shepherd's voice. But Jesus is not finished here yet. Jesus says in verse 16, I have other sheep who are not in the sheep pen. In this sheep pen, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Our shepherd's not satisfied with a group of comfortable sheep. You know, a holy huddle with just the sheep we like, who are just like us. He has other sheep out there he's seeking out, and he wants them in this one fold. The good shepherd is on a mission for lost sheep. Can anybody say amen to that? And I just want to introduce you to what it means to be lost in paradise. Right here, where you and I live, here on the beautiful central coast, there are many lost sheep. Every year, Barna Research does a survey of the spiritual landscape of America. We have just yet again made the top 10 list of spiritually lost communities in the United States. <laughs> Nothing to cheer about. The latest findings were just announced out of 100 regions surveyed. The central coast is number nine, most post-Christian region in the US. Get this, the top eight are in New England. And then the next one was us, above the Bay Area, above Portland, above Seattle. So what were the metrics, those you thoughtful people, what were the metrics? How do you define post-Christian? Post-Christian is people who responded to half, nine or more of these 16 statements. I'll read a few. I do not believe in God. I identify as atheist or agnostic. I disagree that faith is important in my life. I have not prayed to God in the last week. I have never made a commitment to Jesus. I disagree that the Bible is accurate. I have not donated money to a church in the last year. I have not attended a Christian church in the last six months. I do not believe Jesus was sinless. I have not read the Bible in the last week. This is what I mean by lost in paradise. And I'm not bringing these stats up to shame our community or rag on those pagans out there. You know what I say? I'm bringing these up to say, look at the harvest, friends. I mean, we've got amazing opportunities to point people to Jesus. The last thing we need is just to have Christians kind of migrating from church to church while all these lost people are out there. My prayer is that every church is growing by conversion growth, not just transfer growth. Can anybody say amen to that? So that these lost sheep are becoming fine, found and becoming lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. So here's a few ways to cultivate a shepherd's heart for your community. 
You may pick one or two of these. I've tried all of them, they're amazing. Number one, prayer walk your neighborhood. Just, now, keep your eyes open, it's helpful. <laughs> or your local school. Oh my gosh, I've been prayer walking Oceano because God's given me a heart for Oceano. By the way, it's Oceano, Spanish word for ocean, not Oceano, I just learned. Anyways, <laughs> prayer walking, and I'm beginning to see that community and what Jesus is concerned about and what's breaking God's heart in that community. And the level of poverty is greater than any other community in Slow County and the needs. And it's just coming through prayer walking. And number two is just learn the demographics of your city. You can find that out really easy online and find out what the needs are in your city. What part we could help to bring healing to that brokenness. Number three is come on Alpha. We run Alpha twice a year for a reason, to make it easy for you to share meals and have thoughtful spiritual conversations with new friends and with people who don't believe like you do. And it's great training for your conversations out there. Some of you may want to do Alpha before you invite a friend because you want to make sure it's a good thing to invite your friend to. So we're starting in just three weeks. Check out our uh, website. Number four is make friends with non-Christians. Recent research says only, I think 40% of Christians have no non-Christian friends. Like, do stuff you like with non-Christians. Like, Music, hiking, drink wine. I don't know. What do you like to do? I know you guys like to do a lot of stuff. The Central Coast has so much good stuff to do. I went to an amazing concert on Wednesday night with Hillary. Wasn't that fun, Hillary, wherever you are? It's just music is a bridge. So do stuff with non-Christians. And then finally, the fifth one is be curious. Learn your neighbor's stories. Learn non-Christian stories. Everybody takes, has a story, and they don't need to be talked at. They think Christians just talk at people. Find out how you can pray for them. Good shepherds are good listeners. Amen? And you can do one or two of these things this week. And as you do those things, you begin to feel the heart of the good shepherd for your corner of the five cities, for your corner of Slow County. Amen? Read this verse with me. I am, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Are you looking for a better shepherd? Our world is in desperate need for better shepherds. Do you want to better recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd during the clamor of your everyday life? Anybody? I invite you to pray this prayer of exchange. Just pray phrase by phrase if, if that's you. No, no pressure, but if that's you, pray this with me. This is a prayer of exchange. Bad out, good in, right? Okay. Lord Jesus, I am a sheep. By nature, I get lost. I am easily distracted, anxious, and fearful. I need a shepherd. 
I reject all false shepherds in my life. I reject all the voices that lead me away from you. I reject the voices that seek to steal, kill, and destroy. Lord Jesus, you alone are the good shepherd. You alone are my good shepherd. Thank you for laying down your life for me. Thank you that you know me. I want to know you as you know the Father. I want to recognize your voice above all others. And I want to help other lost sheep find you.